let's start with funding and how funding actually is distributed, um, w- working our way from the top down, so that um, if nothing else, people can get a better understanding of actually how the money does come to be at local government level. Indeed. Um, uh, I'd, I'd like to indeed acknowledge what Kokito is indicating. There is a major problem. I'm not so sure whether it is a crisis level yet, but there is indeed certain problems. One of those is indeed in fiscal and financial management. Um, now, how municipalities get their funding is in a number of different ways. The main being that they generate their own revenue from rates and taxes and selling of certain services in the main water and electricity. They also get a national allocation from the national fiscus, which we are concerned that despite the huge responsibility that they are tasked with, they get less than 10% of the national budget, yet the expectation on them is huge. Now, on the one hand, we need to review the allocation of funding to municipalities. Secondly, related to that is once that funding reaches the coffers of municipalities, we need to ensure that it is utilized properly. That is one other area of concern. Now, our uh, um, um, excitement is that while there's these problems, uh, as has been identified by audits outcomes over time, the fact that there is an improvement over time in the audit results of municipalities suggests that we are indeed gradually clawing back out of this problem. The other link to that as well is spending Mm. on the funding. Now, you cannot afford to return any funding uh, back to where it comes from, but the fact that there is an increasing in the expenditure uh, is indeed an indication that we're going uh, in the right direction. We need to consolidate that. Uh, one cent returned back is one cent too much. So maybe if we focus our attention on those. Do you agree with that? Because, uh, yes, it's less than 10%, but it stands at about 9.1% um, of GDP that is allocated for the sphere of government. So, so, so do you think it's enough? Do you think that it would be more effective if it was spent better? Um, so both ways are correct. Um, so local government, as he said, you know, gets money from revenues and so on. But in terms of how it's done, so an example would be the local government equitable share that is given to municipalities. That is an unconditional grant. But at this, and that's the grant from which free basic services should be coming from. But because it's unconditional, it's not linked directly to that. And we've seen many municipalities diverting the money. But also at the same time, um, previously, we've seen Salga has worked a lot around, you know, the formula that was used to allocate the money because what happened is municipalities were actually incentivized to gather rates from the from people living within the municipalities, meaning the more revenue you'd got, the bigger your allocation. What that, in essence, created was a situation where the poorest municipalities were getting less money despite the fact that they needed it the most because the people within and within that also you see uh, where you are stripping people away from being rights bearing people and turning them into consumers because municipalities are also 
push to prioritize revenue payers instead of the poor. But I'd also caution against the idea that the audit is the final tool of measurement for a municipality. Local government's function is to deliver services. And without a doubt, without money and without the proper use of money, you can't do that. But at the same time, we have seen municipalities get clean audits, but yet the poorest citizens are not getting enough services Mm. because it's much easier actually to fix robots to do certain things in certain areas than to fulfill the rights of indigent households you know an example of this would be the city of cape town which once upon a time was the only metro that got a clean audit we've seen multiple amounts of research that have shown us that in terms of the allocation poorer people are actually being allocated less in terms of sanitation you know so for me the idea that an audit is the ultimate sign we should be looking at the services the poorest within the municipality are getting. But how do we measure that? How do we measure that the services are actually being rendered to the poorest? I think there's issues around one of the key things I love local government budgets. I would think of them as a tool, as almost an investigative tool, you know, Um, by seeing where municipalities allocate the most resources, you can actually find out what they are prioritizing and who they are prioritizing. So if you look at allocations in certain wards with greater needs, but you broke it down per capita being by people, by the number of people, you know, you'd actually get a sense of. Um, yeah, how much, how much is being spent, especially if you consider that townships and other formerly black areas are much more densely populated, you know, mm. so it gives you, it gives you a sense from those kind of things, the data, um, you can actually tell a lot. But it, it, it's very worrying if you look at um, a municipality like um, Kude, who would come out and, you know, they are said to be owing 130 million rand to creditors. A municipality of that size, 130 million, it, it, it then begs a number of questions about how money is spent. Um, you know, and, and, and I like what uh, Koketsa was saying, that if you actually look at that balance sheet, it tells a story in itself. But how does a municipality find itself in a situation where ESCOM is threatening to cut off the lights? There's no water for the residents because this has happened. The roads are falling apart. Everything just seems to be falling apart. How do such, uh, how do such situations actually come to be? Yeah. Look, I, 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 I do want to punctuate the narrative again that says everything is falling apart. I want to contend that it is not everything that is falling apart. There are certain areas where there is major problems, and we cannot afford to run away from that. Now, let's take the example of Mukanyakud, and in fact, maybe the ESCOM example as a case mm. in point to make this credit, uh, the, uh, uh, this debt that is owed. Some municipalities, regardless of what you do, regardless of how well you try to demarcate through the MDB, do not have a revenue base. So they will never be financially viable. So... We they will ex- never be financially viable. Because the economy in those areas, in the deep rural areas and the indigency is such that if you're expecting rates and taxes from that community, it is just not possible. So we do need to look at different tools to ensure that some of these municipalities are financially viable, just by definition. You then use another lens, uh, the ESCOM example. 
where indeed a number of municipalities were owing ESCOM and many other debtors as well. You dissect in the, in the context of the investigative assessments that we made reference to earlier on of this debt. Mm. Let me give you the anatomy of the ESCOM relationship with municipalities, especially as far as the finances are concerned. Um, some municipalities pay to ESCOM more per unit of electricity than they are getting from their communities, just by way of tariffs. And we want to review those tariffs. Unfortunately, if you try to review them, they become high and communities again complain. But if the municipality is buying that unit of electricity from ESCOM at a higher price, then unfortunately it needs to get it back. You leave that uh, on the one hand. You go into another part of that same anatomy that when ESCOM has delivered uh, this electricity to a municipality, it then gives them 15 days to pay that, and beyond that, it starts charging interest. Prime plus five, the last time I checked. The municipality gives the community 30 days to pay. So immediately there, there is an extra 15 days where the community is not going to be paying, but where ESCOM is starting to charge and a rate of prime plus five in any terms, especially in a developmental state, charging another state institution prime plus five is huge. But so th- this is debt, one state-owned entity. That debt is cumulative. So it is very easy to see how some of these municipalities can end up with this kind of debt. And most of it is interest. ESCOM is a state-owned entity. How does this happen? Why aren't there conversations happening? Because uh, I, I assume this has been going on for the longest time. So why haven't there been conversations to try and arrest that situation? We have been at pains to suggest that let's have that conversation. Unfortunately, the conversation is directed at the municipality and the fact that there's problems in municipality. While as Salga, we do acknowledge that indeed there's problems. We must confront those problems. But if we ignore some of the sources of the problems, then we're dealing with the tip of the iceberg and we'll never be able to solve the problem holistically. And that's a fair problem that you raise, but that does not negate the fact that uh, compounding that situation is corruption. Correct. We have also come out very clearly fighting corruption. Salga at its special conference in 2012 launched an anti-corruption strategy. We would not have launched it if we did not acknowledge that there are certain problems in certain areas. One of the things that we have proposed in that strategy is to institute accountability and consequences mechanisms. Over that period since that time, the Auditor General has has reported that now over 50% of municipalities, I think 53% the last time I checked, and that was in a previous audit, have now got accountability and consequences mechanisms in place. The city of Johannesburg, the mayor was reporting uh, just this past week that there has been over 500 cases that have been investigated and in fact certain people being convicted. So the point there is, I agree with you. There is a corruption problem. We also need to acknowledge that mechanisms have been put in place. We're far from reaching where we want to get to. What we do need to do is to applaud those that have put the mechanisms in place, consolidate it, and ensure that it covers the whole country. Okay, so? Um, so I, I would totally agree with him. Salga has done a lot, even in terms of um, 
just understanding the context within which municipalities work and the limitations that are placed on them. Very few people see those instances. And I'd also like also point out that even when certain mechanisms are put in place, there's also issues around certain municipalities have serious capacity constraints. Mm. So even implementing um, these mechanisms that are put in place can become difficult at times, you know. Um, What are some of those capacity constraints? As in the number of people working within the municipality, um, too few people, the kind of skills that are available within the municipality, those those are just some of your very, very basic capacity constraints within municipalities. And particularly your smaller, more rural towns where it's hard to retain skilled people, you know. Um, so, but, but, but for how long are we going to put those forward, uh, you know, almost as excuses for these municipalities? Because these are by no means new. We've been having these conversations, you know, since the dawn of democracy, really, um, ever since those first uh, municipal elections afterwards, because that's when things opened up. We don't know what was going on during apartheid. But ever since then, I know because I was there. These conversations have been had for the longest time. More effort definitely does need to be put in place. I think there's a, even with regards to national government's own approach to local government, even with regards to how the provinces treat local government, things need to definitely be changed in terms of the relations, in terms of the relations between state-owned enterprises and municipalities as well. But also, one cannot ignore the role of internal party politics that Mm. manifest themselves Mm. within. So political parties as well need to come to the party and step up to ensure that this doesn't happen. An example I would like to give is um, the Mafi King municipality. Once upon a time, it was one of the worst performing municipalities in this country. And... Carte Blanche did a whole expose which found that the mayor had appointed a political advisor at the cost of over one million per annum. You know, small town municipality, this is what's going on. We've also seen in terms of the resource allocation as well, just how much is spent on human resources rather than service delivery. You know, so these are some of the challenges. But I do think that it is not helpful to exclude political parties from this discussion because the political does come and manifest itself as well. Sienna, what's your take on that? The the, the role of political parties, uh, because they are integral to this. I saw a message earlier from someone who was saying we need to remove uh, the political parties from the equation, but that's not how our system is set up. Unfortunately, they are part and parcel of this whole setup. Yeah, it's it's it. I agree with you. It's going to be a, a bit of a difficult one. Uh, we've initiated processes um, which I perhaps don't necessarily think are foolproof, but try to start a pro- a, a, a addressing the challenge. We've initiated uh, interventions where you avoid certain role players within the municipality from holding high office in political parties as a way of trying to divorce those two. You also want to ensure that municipalities themselves are capacitated from an institutional point of view to be able to run their own affairs. You know? However, the reality of the matter is that a lot of those councillors are deployed by their own political parties and they remain at least in part accountable to the party. We want to argue that they're accountable to communities, but if you got there in a party, in a... PR list. 
in a PR list or even in a ward what, list, yeah. even if you were contesting mm-hmm. along party colors, then you do have a certain level of accountability. So we do appeal to political parties, first of all, to deploy the best pot- possible candidates at the municipal space as well as to support and manage them effectively without necessarily interfering. It's a very delicate balance, but we need to continue to grind on it. And I think when we come back from the news break, I also want to talk about what communities can do if they are unhappy with the situation, if the political parties involved who are represented uh, in their communities are not deploying the best possible candidates, what recourse do the communities have? When we come back, we'll talk about that. We'll also take your calls on 0891-104-208. And uh, you can SMS us on 34701, Twitter, Facebook, AM Live on, Ash- AM Live on SAFM, hashtag Forum at 8 for this one. It's 8.30, time for news headlines with Kumbuzile Tabete. Yebo Sakina, looking ahead in the 9 o'clock bulletin, scores of people who have been affected by heavy rains over the weekend in various areas around Durban will receive assistance from the municipality. But more on that story at 9 o'clock. Now here's a wrap of some of our top stories this morning. Police say a primary school at Stankvater near Harmanskral, north of Pretoria, was torched yesterday when a political gathering turned violent. At least 21 people are expected to appear in the Malamulele Magistrates Court in Limpopo today in connection with violent protests at Vuani, during which more than 20 schools were burnt down. Former President Tabombege has advised the current leadership to do an introspection and to be truthful with itself. Public protector Tulima Donzela has confirmed that she was warned about a possible hit on her life. And ESCOM has confirmed that it has set aside 10 billion rand to clean up nuclear waste accumulating at the Cooper power station in the Cape Peninsula. More news at 9 o'clock. Traffic on SAFM, your trusted guide to the road ahead. Yeah, very good morning. Joburg's highways, well, the busiest bit is really the N1 from Baclou down to Ravonia. There's some real problems getting off at Ravonia Road and some uh, additional problems getting off at William Nicola as well. So Baclou to Ravonia and then Ravonia to William Nicola. It's heavy northbound. It's very slow from Malabongwe up to uh, William Nicola as well. Mike 1 still stuck between Boysons and Parktown. Clip River Drive, Boysons through Selby uh, looking quite slow. And a taxi crash on the M2 between the N3 and Refinery Road. Uh, both uh, both ways are uh, being held up there. R21 study to move through towards the airport. The earlier crash at Bopsfontein Road's being cleared. Olifunds Fontaine still heavy, very heavy from Blue Hills across towards the uh, N1 uh, highway. And uh, Funderhof has been a real problem all morning getting into Pretoria. Pretoria Gardens area from sort of Bremer Street all the way down to Eskia and Perthsley Drive. It remains relentlessly busy. Uh, Durban's M4 choked up from sort of, uh, well, about Walter Gill, but up over Blue Lagoon through to Virginia Airport. If you're en route towards the uh, King Shaka International Airport uh, using the M4, just make sure you've got plenty of time to get through. Truck crash at Shongweni down towards uh, Peter Maritzburg still causing delays. Uh, Cape Town Highway starting to ease up. Still the N1 corridor is busy. Uh, Brackenfell to Belleville. Platicliff through to Cooper. Uh, get a change. There is a crash on the uh, Strand Road uh, just uh, coming out from Cales River. So cross the R300 or off the R300 onto Strand Road into Stickland. Some crash delays there. Rob Byrne, AM Live, Traffic Watch. Thank you so much, uh, Rob Byrne. Uh, Masichabam Tolo standing in for Rowena this morning. How are you?
Thank you so much, uh, Masichaba. That's what you can look forward to on Morning Talk. Right now, it's back to the Forum at 8. And this morning, we are talking about municipalities in the lead-up to the 2016 local government elections. And we are asking, are our municipalities serving the purpose that they were created for? And our guest this morning, um, Executive Manager in the Office of the CEO at the South African Local Government Association, Salga Sianankathle, and also Koketsa Moeti, who's National Coordinator, Local Government Action, and uh, both of them in studio with us. Now, um, we are going to take calls. I see uh, people uh, already coming on 0891-104-208. But uh, just before the break, uh, you know, um, we were talking about what is actually going on in reality in some of these municipalities and um, what can be done. So what recourse do citizens actually have when it comes to dissatisfaction? Maybe if people understand that there are certain things that they can do they will not resort uh, to burning and looting and you know damaging infrastructure because these violent protests have now become synonymous with people's displeasure. And, and surely there has to be a better way, Koketsu. So there's a report that was released some years ago, which is called The Smoke That Calls. So it looks at eight communities within South Africa. And the reason it's called that is... One of the guys, one of the protesters was describing how they've been attempting to engage for a very long time, but it's only government officials only listen when the smoke calls them. So for me, when we talk about violent protests, we cannot take it out of this context that it's actually incentivized that things happen this way before anybody listens. The Socioeconomic Rights Institute also released what was called the Community Practice Notes, also documenting different informal settlements. There's a lot of research that has shown that protest has never been the first means of engagement. But we cannot we cannot discard the fact that by so doing, you know, by only mm. listening when people burn things, we've created a situation where it becomes the first point of reference. And for me, what what concerns me about this idea of, um, you know, people need to do things differently in a nonviolent way and whatnot, it disproportionately places the burden for meaningful engagement on people, you know, who have actually been crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Salga's point of view, I mean, if, if you listen to that, um, if you hear what people actually say, I mean, what does Salga plan on doing about this? Because uh, that... Uh, issue of being incentivized you know it it, it boggles the mind yeah yeah we, we we have been on record as saying that um we we do condemn violence in all its different forms and in fact that the law enforcement agencies must deal with it in the harshest forms possible um but having said that those punitive measures themselves would not necessarily solve the problem how do you solve the problem proactively is to train and build the capacity of municipalities as institutions and as individuals to engage and to engage effectively. Now, one of the things that we have prioritized now in the next term of office uh, post the election is to train our new leadership and officials on this communication and participation uh, uh, tactics. Previously, the training had focused on hardcore issues, which I'm saying in instances when you look at the statistics, in fact, there is some performance along those lines. Even in financial management, certain hard facts, they demonstrate a certain level of progress. However, despite hard facts, 
if you are disengaged from your community, a very small complaint which can be very easily uh, resolved over a conversation across the table can very easily spill over onto the streets Mm. if those communication lines are blocked. Mm. So we've prioritized that for, for the next five years. Well, what are your views about your municipality? 0891-104-208. Do you believe that your municipality is serving the purpose for which it was created? And many messages, but let's go to the lines. 0891-104-208, Mayor of Cape Town, Patricia DeLille calling. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Um, I would just like to respond to what Koketsu said earlier on about Cape Town getting clean orders but still not delivering. She's absolutely misleading the nation. And I would like to set up a meeting with her as soon as possible where she can bring me the proof. Because on a monthly basis, we submit in terms of the Municipal Finance Management Act and Section 71 a report to provincial government and to national government about our spend. And if there's anyone or any sphere of government that should have raised the spend more in other areas and less than other areas, it could have come from national government. But just the opposite. The National Treasury last year said that the bouquet of services offered by the city of Cape Town is the best in the country. In fact, we spend more than 67% of our budget on poorer, previously disadvantaged areas. This is what I fought for, to change the lives of our people against apartheid. And that is exactly what we are doing. So if she's got any facts, then she must bring it to us and I will sit down with her and we can discuss it. But don't mislead the nation if you don't have your facts right. Okay, Mr. Lil, just hold the line there. Uh, Let's just uh, hear from Koketso. So I would like to refer to some work that was done by organizations such as the SJC and others who are working on local government issues within that area. You know, the facts that they've put, put out out there with regards to the specific poor black areas in which they are working. I would also like to point out issues around the improvement district areas and how poor black people are treated in those areas. And it's not a unique, I was just using City of Cape Town as one example, it's not unique to them only. And on the issue of, um, you know, in comparison to other municipalities, I suppose what I struggle with is if the if it's so poor all around, and that's what that's the standard we are holding ourselves to, it, it's such a huge problem, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even issues around engagement, how engagement happens. We've seen organizations that went to go collect, you know, huge input from people around the city of Cape Town's budget. We saw the end result of that. And, yeah, that would be my well, response. Well, I can only certainly respond to that, Coquette, so that the SJC only speak about people in Kailicha, not that they are not allowed to do so. We have proven time and time again, when you verify the figures of SJC, the lack of understanding of how infrastructure works. When you build a wastewater treatment plant, for instance, in Kailicha called Zanfleet, and we have been expanding that wastewater treatment plant. It services at least five areas because infrastructure cut across borders and cut across 
wards. So I will, and have been able to do so in the past, again this year, when I do my budget speed at the end of this month, I will do some verification of the points from SJC. If they have good points, we will certainly listen to them. But if they are trying to play politics like they normally do, we will show them the, 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 the facts in terms of the budget. Cape Town is the fastest growing city in South Africa. And because of urbanization, and we are making sure that we are there to service people. In fact, we spend $1.1 billion just on indigenous relief for the poorest in our, in, in our city. And we gave rates debates of $1.4 billion. So the whole issue must be seen in context. But when you are in Cape Town again or whenever you come this way, I would like to meet with you and I can show you the facts from the city of Cape Town side. But thanks for the opportunity, Sakina. Thank you so much. Uh, that's the mayor of Cape Town, Patricia DeLille. Let's take another call. Felix in Nelspreet. Good morning, Felix. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You're yeah, welcome. I, yeah, I think we should stop now and think about what we are doing. Actually, we should not be condemning people who are crying out for help. And that's where the problem is. If I wake up today and I start a hunger strike, do you think I want to really starve myself to death? It must be because I've been marginalized. It must be because something is really wrong with me. If we stop condemning these people and start finding why they are doing this, then we'll be able to move forward. But everybody wants to condemn. We condemn people in Rwanda, we condemn for destruction, but not knowing exactly what is going on with these people. These people have already condemned themselves to death. So why condemn them even more? We are supposed to actually sit down with them, sit down with the community, and begin to understand the real reason why anybody will want to kill himself. And All this right. is where the problem is. Our government is not listening to us. They are not listening. They are not coming down to our level to see the problem we are facing. Thank you so much, uh, Felix and Nelspreet. Now, you see, that I don't understand. How can local government not know what people are feeling? How can local government not understand what people are grappling with? Uh, Mike in the Western Cape, good morning. Fakina, good morning to you, and thank you for taking this call. Um, I can... The, the, the single worst thing that ever happened to local government was the insertion of national politics. Um, I was, in fact, a council member in Sedgefield, where I live, and when Sedgefield was incorporated with Neisner, I stood in the first election as an independent member. Um, the DP, as they were then, said that they would take me out, and they did that by publishing in the local papers an article which said that I was a member of the ANC. That was a lie. I took them to the IEC and won the case, but too late to be able to, do, to use it in, in the election. And ever since then, local government has been to, contaminated by party politics, and the first um, priority is always party politics. It's the worst thing that happened, and it's a version of what happened to national government where the parties decide who are going to be the MPs and the MPs see themselves responsible to the parties and not to the electors. Well, Mike, thanks so much for that input. And uh, we'll actually get a response from our panel um, after taking a few more of your calls. Gift in Port Elizabeth. Hi, Sagina, and hi to your guest. 
I think first and foremost, uh, I think what uh, Mayor Delil has mentioned in this show uh, speaks volume because most of us who normally go to Cape Town will see two wells, black wells and a white wells, where you'll find that there's lack of service delivery in areas like your Kailicha and Kukuleti, but it's not for me to discuss that. Just quickly to your case, some of the issues that I want to raise, they've already alluded to, but I think one issue that I want to raise uh, to your guests is, is the fact that the role of district municipalities need to be clarified because the status quo is not optimal mm. and needs to be reviewed. The question that must be confronted is whether it is workable for district municipalities to be expected to provide services to some local municipalities that have more resources than them. Because to me, yeah. there's a growing view that we need to recom- to have a recommending policy that district municipalities should house shared services and provide high-level skills to municipalities that will never afford some of the skills. The, the last issue that I want to raise on the public participation, you'll find that uh, because I also work for a municipality, but I think my municipality does not do that because it normally does it at its best. Most municipalities, when it comes to public participation, they view this as just a compliance issue rather than ensuring that there's participated democracy in municipalities. Mm. And I think that's a critical challenge. But the last issue, there are, I think w- w- one of the many factors that lead to cramped local government and lead to discontent within municipalities communities is the issue of representative capacity. In this instance, I think consideration is less with numbers, but more with the quality of political leadership deployed in municipalities. And I'm raising this because I think we must ask the question, is now not the time we pay attention to representative capacity? Since this will strengthen administrative capacity, you'll find this, for an example, in Johannesburg Metro, most of the people who, who, who sit in the mayoral committee, I mean, I mean, look at the qualifications that I have. You've got your Machidiso figure, who's an MNC for Environmental Infrastructure Services. It's got an MBA. You've got your Rabi eh, Matabing, who's the MNC for Economic Development. He's a qualified town planner with BA Social Science in urban and regional planning. And I think if we can look at the people that we deploy, in particular at the political level, with skills, and I think there will be a lot of stability in most municipalities. Give thank you so much. Uh, mouthful there, but very uh, pertinent points you raise. ZD and KZN. ZD? Hey, hello. Good, thanks, and you? You think to Cynthia from Lana, we think it. Okay, we got our lines crossed. Welcome, Simpiwe. Yes, 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 Mama. You know, I guess uh, this mayor of Cape Town, is, she irritates me when she's talking about the service delivery, how the TA is good in the way. She's lying, man. You know, the, the life of a black person only matters to the TA when they need to vote for us. You understand? Why do you so, say that? Uh, has, I know, Mom. Yeah, we say we don't. We've got water potters here, we've got the state that are being flooded by water, but she comes on radio and talks nonsense. You know, she's been doing this even in Danone, she abandoned people of Danone. You know, when there was a strike in Danone, she could attend there in the problems. So she, tell- come and, she mustn't come on the national radio and lie, this mayor. So, so uh, tell me, Simpiwe, um, uh, the area in which you live, are there no award committees set up in, in your area? In Langa, Sakina, I'm okay. staying in Slovo in Langa, close to the, too close to the, too close to the uh, smelling toilet. We, our sacks are being flooded by water every year in Langa, in Slovo. She knows that she's passing there when she's going to town every day. Tell and me, then, uh, do you have ward committees in your area? We have, but we have ward committees, but they are not doing anything. 
And what are you doing about the fact that your ward committees are not doing anything? I think it's about, it's about time we put a new government there. The DA and ANC, they, they, they already messed up this country. You understand? We need a new government to send this country. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Simpiwe Nanga. Okay, let's answer some questions. But before we do, let me run through uh, some of the messages as well. Um, Tsepo Mohale says, no, uh, these municipalities are not serving the purpose they were set up for. They've been heavily politicized and turned into fiefdoms. Whereas he says, your guests say some municipalities are not self-sustainable. Doesn't that then mean that there needs to be a policy shift or a new approach? Sammy Malisela says, uh, we need professionals in the response fields within municipalities to run the show. Cater deployment has failed, period. Uh, Kakesha Moyang says, uh, potholes, nepotism, tenderpreneurship, and a bad audit report comes to mind when the word municipality is mentioned. Muge um, Mueketi says, uh, go to Tlokwe municipality and see all the offices are occupied by unqualified family members of politicians. And how then do you expect good service from that? Zolani S.S. Zonyane says, The failure by municipalities is because of a skills deficit, both at administrative and political level. Audit results focus on financial performance and not on delivery of basic services, like uh, mentioning city of Cape Town, which has a clean audit. Kamagu uh, Sigo says, No, the municipalities have lost their purpose. All they do is to um, impose laws on people without proper consultation. And Kolani Williams says the municipalities are not doing the right thing. Uh, Come to Sunday's River Municipality and you'll see for real things that individuals are getting rich on a daily basis. Lisejo, unless at my ANC stops interfering in municipality, we will have many Vuani protests. Politics must be separated from administration. And Thorny says district municipalities are a duplication of duties. What's the point of having two mayors in one area. And uh, then uh, this one here uh, from Noel Crowey. Noel wants to know as well, could your panel emphasize the role of the ward committee members as per the DPLG? So lots to respond to there. Uh, who wants to go first? Let's go to uh, Siana. Yeah. Um, lots and lots of very different diverse uh, set of issues. Um I I think whatever we do, whatever we say, we do need to acknowledge that there are areas where things have gone wrong. And in fact, in some instances, they've really gone horribly wrong. Yeah? That has resulted in a fair level of frustrations in certain areas. We do, at the same time, need to acknowledge that municipalities have made a huge contribution in restoring human dignity by the types of services that they have provided across the board, from Cape Town to Mosina. Now, the statistics speak to themselves, and I think those statistics have been banded around over the past couple of years. We do want to acknowledge that those statistics sometimes are not sufficient because, one, where those small percentages of people that have not been touched, um, you cannot throw statistics at them. You cannot throw plans and future plans at them. Mm. Communication is something that keeps coming up at time and time again. We need to use the different indicators, and it keeps coming up a couple of times, audit issues, spending patterns, etc., 
while we acknowledge that the statistics demonstrate that the audits are improving over time, we need to go into a deeper level of analysis. What does that audit imply? Services, mm. non-negotiable, engagements with communities. Do they feel that they own the assets that have been delivered through these numbers that we're throwing around? Once you own, you will not have people burning down the public infrastructure if they feel that they own them. So I think we need to get into a different set of conversations. We've demonstrated that the numbers, the access has been increased. We need to get into a different conversation, as has been indicated by some callers. Mm. The quality of the services, the reliability of the services, the engagement, uh, building those bridges between ourselves and the constituencies. And I think we'll, we'll be in a much better position to how? consolidate. Where do we start? How, how do we go about doing this? Because if people are asking, so what is the role of ward committees? I mean, it, just the fact that we are asking these questions 22 years into democracy from where I'm sitting is problematic. Because what does it mean? Does it mean that we also don't own that democracy in as much as we don't own the infrastructure as people on the ground? Yes, uh, that's a very good one, uh, Sakina. That's a very good question because it, it complements my issue about transcending the conversations. The statistics is one, but the other is legislation. We've put all sorts of regulations in place, including regulations that ensure that there shall be ward committees. Now, while we can address some of these challenges through regulating, we're regulating conversation. Mm. We're saying ward committees must be in place because they must be the interface between communities and the council. As Gift was saying, it's about compliance. We are ticking boxes. But what does that mean in terms of actually bringing services to the people? People must participate in what committees. What committees are established to ensure that non-political role players are able to complement what the ward councillor does. Unfortunately, in some instances, that also does get politicized, but that's not a legislative issue. It is about how we ourselves engage with those that we then task to engage with our municipalities in that regard. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so stuck on Delil. Um, and I just want to respond to something else that was that's very interesting. So in terms, the de- um, the mayor always refers to, you know, this is untrue. We've used data analytics methods and they put forward very huge claims, you know. But it's very, very hard for us to get to a point of actually, you know, how can these claims be independently assessed? Because every time you ask for a reference from somewhere, you will be sent from pillar to post, you know. An interesting one that was publicly documented was actually done by Africa Check, where they were assessing pre-elections. I think this was 2012-2013 year, which they published in 2014, you know. What were the claims being made? Very, very hard to get an inter- in independent analysis, mm. but based on people's experiences, based on the images you see coming from certain places. And again, I emphasize, this was just one of many examples in the country. I'm not picking on the city of Cape Town, you know. Mm. But because to that point, uh, Dr. Tabo Ditsele says, uh, there's a narrative that Langa in the Western Cape gets poor service delivery, implying that Dipsluit and Gauteng is uh, perhaps better off. Yeah, uh, Really? No, it is not the case. And and, and, and I guess this is the point. Yes. This is not peculiar 
to the Western Cape. Mm-hmm. And you see it, unfortunately, what you're also seeing within our cities, right, is this narrative of um, good governance, which is now extending beyond there, where these models that actually aren't working for the poor are being deeply embedded in all the other cities as well, all our major cities, which is a huge, huge problem because we are replicating certain levels of inequality within access to services. On the issue of the ward committee, um, Without a doubt, yeah, the what it's supposed to be in theory, you know, is not how it's playing itself out in practice. Um, we see that in so many communities in which we work. But, but, but let's just take a few steps back. Oh, sorry. People don't even know what it's supposed to do in theory. I would actually argue, and again, this is this is different experiences. I would say that people know what it's supposed to do, but because it currently isn't working in that way, that's what raises that's what raises the so what is of, it supposed to do so the idea as he said it's supposed to be an interface between council and people so the people who live within a community are best placed to know the issues what's going on what level of skills are are happening. So from this community, you select these people who are representing the community. These would be the people who people go to in this particular issues or who identify particular pro- problems within a community. So it's, an, it's a means of trying to take a proactive stance on service delivery. Unfortunately, what we have seen and one of the problems actually that we should discuss is the fact that a ward councillor is the chairperson of the, of ward, the ward committee. committee. You know, that in itself can can influence this politicized nature of a committee that is not supposed to be non-political. Because what you sometimes see is the ward councillor comes from a particular party. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is that the representatives also go the same way, which is not necessarily what the community wanted or which is not an adequate reflection of what's going on in the community all the people become caught up in the party politics and not necessarily accountable to the people. So I think that's that's a huge challenge that is facing the committee. Well, so many messages coming through. Unfortunately, no time to get through all of them. Uh, let me just pay attention to Facebook for a minute. Leo Les says, the problem is the recent ANC uses a lot of corruptive activities for positions within government. For one to be a mayor or councillor, you must have paid someone or even killed someone. So these uh, spend a lot of time protecting their bad deeds and isolating community issues. Holding on to positions within ANC seems to be the cause. Spending a lot of time fighting legal battles and trying to keep your seat is hard work hence you end up neglecting the community and um, Hatlani says um, the uh, Tulamela in Limpopo is a mixture of Tsonga and Venda speaking people the Vendas uh, as they are in a majority in office didn't give services to the Tsongas and that resulted in Tsongas demanding their own municipality. They've been to Tulamela for a long time. In the map there's a stadium, a taxi rank, Tart Road uh, at Malamulele. Physically those things however are in Venda. And the final one from Togozo says, speaking of communication in Groudville under Kwatuguza municipality we are entering a second day without electricity and nobody is telling us anything. So tell you what, we'll have more of these discussion in the lead up to the local government elections because I think it's important. If nothing else today, at least you know what that ward uh, committee is supposed to do and, and, and maybe we can move forward from there by trying to understand the, the, the mechanics of these local government and municipal setups so that they can actually work for us. Uh, we need to own them so that we won't 
vandalize and burn them. So that's where we're going to leave it for this morning. Thanks to our guest, uh, Siana Nkashle, who was executive manager in the office of the CEO at Salga, and Koketso Mweti, national coordinator at Local Government Action, which is um, a not-for-profit organization. And that's where we're going to leave it. Thanks for your participation. Back tomorrow morning. You have a good one. It's just after nine. Time for news with Kumbuzile Tabete.